Hello, I'm Lisa Smazarski, Editor-in-Chief of Stylist, and welcome to Stylist Live Sessions, our series of inspiring talks and thought-provoking conversations recorded live at our annual Festival of Inspiration. In this episode, you'll hear me in conversation with three brilliant financial gurus, author Otega Awogba, Selena Flavius, and at Money for Millennials, otherwise known as Anna Braiding. Oh, and together we're digging into the nitty gritty of managing your money in a tricky climate. My panel share their thoughts on how best to manage your money, tackle debt and navigate the tricky worlds of pay and progression in a recession through to their best money management tips and tricks. As this session is recorded live at the Truman Brewery, you might hear a bit of background noise. But here's what Otega, Selena and Anna had to say. I'm about to say a couple of words that give some people the shivers. Financial planning. I know the phrase probably brings many people out of a cold sweat, especially as the cost of living soars and is affecting every single one of us. But that doesn't mean we can just bury our heads in the sand as much as we might want to, or refuse to log into our internet banking and hope for the best, which I've heard from many a stylist reader. To be able to keep our financial heads above water and even float, we need to have some candid conversations about money and knowing our value. And today, I've got joined by three brilliant panelists who are going to talk about spending, saving, and spreadsheets. We have Selena Flavius, the founder of Black Girl Finance, a financial training company for black women, financial education instructor and TikTok creator, Anna Braiding, and author, Otega Awagba, whose brilliant book, We Need to Talk About Money, became a stylist cover in 2021. Please join me in a lovely, warm welcome to Selena, Anna, and Otega. So, I'm going to ask you, um, Selena, I'm going to start with you. Why do you think as women we're having such a hard time talking about our financial boundaries? Um, I think that if you think about the finance world in general, it has traditionally been very kind of geared towards men. Um, so I think it's taken some time to, for you know, women to feel, I guess, included uh, in the financial conversations about money. Uh, also, if you look at kind of advertising around money as well, the messages can be quite different for men and women. So women are told often that we need to kind of save, whereas men, you know, they can invest um, mm. and, you know, you know, live the dream lifestyle. So I think there's a bit of disparity there. So I think it's no surprise that, you know, we're a little bit behind when it comes to feeling open and talking about money. I'm feeling confident with my own, I suppose, as well. And yeah. we were just touching on the fact that we don't get this as a form of education, do we? Can no. you tell me a bit about your experience with that? Yeah, it's a massive bugbear of mine, and it's, I'm on a bit of a mission to try and adjust this and fill the gap a little bit, because that was my experience. Like, I was well-educated, I did a maths degree. I thought, oh, surely that's going to be enough to get me through into a lovely life and a lovely future. And then we started having kids, and... Um, you know, our cost of living was going up, but our income wasn't. We hit a bit of an income ceiling, and I got so frustrated because I felt, especially as a woman, I felt I was out of options. I was like, what do I do? Like, the childcare costs are so high, but I've got tiny little babies. I want to be around for them a little bit, and it's like, what do I do? And then I realized, after picking up a couple of books on financial literacy, there are other options. I just never got taught them growing yeah. up. And actually, I just went headfirst into that. And the more I learn, the more my life is sort of... You know, my relationship with money's improved. My, 
things have just changed dramatically. Our financial lives have tra totally transformed. So I want that for other people. And I feel like there is a big gap there. I take it, you, you did a whole book about this, that we need to talk about money. There is a lot of stigma and taboo. We're probably less open about our financial situations with our friends and our family than we are be about our sex lives. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's just because the amount of money you do or don't have tends to invite a lot of judgment, um, and nobody wants to be judged. So I do understand why it is the case that people kind of feel nervous talking about money openly. I don't necessarily know that I agree that it's gendered in that sense. I mean, when I think about my kind of female friendships, we talk about money all the time, and I think things have definitely changed in that regard, yeah. um, where women are kind of talking about money openly. Um, but in terms of the general taboo, I mean, it's also kind of a historical thing, like certainly in the UK, which I think in the research I did for my book, the UK is kind of like the worst globally for talking about money openly. And a lot of that is to do with kind of Victorian era values where mm. talking about money openly or even being seen to openly desire money was seen as quite gauche and, you know, yeah. impolite. Um, and I think mm. we've kind of carried that um, into kind of contemporary society. When you go to places like the States or um, certain countries in Asia, they talk about money much more openly and it's not as laden with this kind of judgment. Um, it's just quite a pragmatic conversation. So yeah, I think a lot of it is just kind of cultural as well. What, where do you think we need to start? Is this talking about salary? Is this talking about our own personal financial situations, the cost of things, how we challenge? I mean, Anna, what, where do you think is the best place to start this conversation? I think being open about um, what you want out of life. Um, most of us live with this like low level frustration because we can see we want certain things, but we see there's no, like, it just doesn't seem like there's a route to get there financially. And no one's kind of shown us that path or guided us towards that path. So I think we kind of, us, a lot of us feel frustrated. I certainly used to feel very frustrated. And I think being honest and open about that um, is a good place to start. And just being real about what you actually want. Like, I, I want to go for this thing. I'd love to be here in five years' time. Mm. Like, discussing that with your friends, that's a really positive conversation. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. But we had Bernadine Evaristo here yesterday, and she talked a lot about... She really knew what she wanted. And it's quite hard to say that sometimes. I think my experience is that can be harder for women as well to be very single-minded. Here's my ambition and my goal. But I guess that's what we're trying to open up the conversation with money as well and being comfortable about owning what we're worth. That seems fair. Um, Selena, um, one of the things that we've tackled or we've heard a lot at Stylist is inequality about your, how much you earn with your friendship groups and the yeah. challenge that this can have. Is that something that you've come across with your peers, I guess? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so in the Black Girl Finance book, I speak about the gender pay gap, the ethnicity pay gap that exists, and it's definitely something that we should be aware of and just make sure that we're advocating for ourselves. So, um, you know, having conversations such as this, um, having conversations with your girlfriends. I mean, when I, I mean, back to your previous question, if I just go back, you know, when yeah, I was thinking about that, I was thinking to myself, you know, when I speak to my girlfriends, we talk about absolutely anything. So I got, I had a gathering with my girlfriends last weekend and we were talking about like orgasms and we were talking about, you know, bereavement and we were talking about all sorts of things. So I think a place to start would be just think about those friends that you can be really, really candid mm. and honest with. And maybe those are the go-to people that you start having these money conversations with because you already know that they're not going to judge you. They're, they're pretty open-minded. So I would just say, you know, where to begin 
begin there. But it's really important that we have these conversations. It's really important that as we progress through our careers, we think about, okay, you know, what should I earn for this role? What should I earn for my experience? And just make sure that we do ask for those pay rises because gaps do exist, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I, I take, a, I don't know if you tackled this in the book, but what, what's the answer to pay transparency? Is it really about people being more open about their salaries, companies publishing their salaries? Because I guess that's a starting point for so many people. Are you even earning what you're worth? I mean, I think in my experience, the best way of kind of achieving parity is to talk about it with your colleagues. Yeah. yeah. Um, because the disparities are going to kind of be within a company, within a department, within a team, finding out what somebody who does the same job at you is doing. Um, or you can kind of talk to people across your industry and figure out what is the kind of going rate for the role you're doing, because maybe your company is systemically underpaying people. Um, but I do think speaking to your colleagues about what they're earning, people who are kind of a valid comparison is really important. Um, something that I always suggest is that instead of just kind of going up to your colleague and being like, what are you on, is just kind of volunteering your own salary first. Yeah. I think people often feel a lot more put at ease when they know information about you first. So you kind of just have to offer that up and hope, um, hope that they kind of respond in kind, but also just being quite open about why you're asking them. Like you're not just being nosy, you're like, hey, I think I might be being underpaid or I'm thinking about, for a pay rise or I'm thinking about moving on from this place like what are we talking salary wise um, but yeah I think that's kind of the best thing like even now even though I'm self-employed I have a lot of chats with I guess fellow self-employed friends who do kind of similar work about what they're being paid for what and it in a lot of cases has changed what I ask for or what I mm. you know negotiate to because I, I know definitely when I became self-employed at first I didn't know what some people were earning. And I was like, oh, I didn't know I could ask for X amount. Yeah, money. well, it's um, not published anywhere, is it? Yeah, it's hard exactly. to find that information. Um, yeah. So I think it's, yeah, whether you're self-employed or whether you're working with other people, just you kind of need to find people who are a valid comparison and just broach a subject. Yeah. How, <clears throat> how, who has got good advice on asking for that pay rise? Because this is something, or particularly at the moment where we're all looking at the, the rise of inflation and how our salaries are matching to that. And I think I've never, in, in the 13 years of Silas, never not heard someone say, this is still a really challenging conversation for me. I don't know how to raise it. I don't know. Has anyone got good thoughts on how you might tackle that conversation? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that I would suggest is setting like a sort of concrete meeting time with your boss, your line manager, whoever. It's not the kind of thing you just run by someone in passing. Like, I think send an email and also kind of indicate in your email that you are looking to talk about compensation or progress or performance or whatever, um, because nobody likes being blindsided when it comes to talks about money. So you kind of want to signal to your boss that that is what you want to have this conversation about. Um, you also want to rehearse the conversation. I think you can rehearse it with a friend, rehearse it in front of your mirror, just kind of get a bit of a script going. Um, in the past, I literally have scripted what I'm going to say, get a bit of a script going so that you don't kind of turn up in the room and find yourself lost for words. Um, and then in the room, I think it's really important that you couch your request in terms of what you deserve as opposed to I want or I need. Like being perfectly honest, citing the cost of living crisis, even though it'd be amazing if employers took that into account in determining pay, they don't, um, mm. they're not going to. So you kind of need to make a business case for maybe you've brought in X clients or maybe yep. you've raised billables by a certain amount or you've saved money. Um, Make sure your timing is right. Like if your company's just gone through a bunch of layoffs and redundancies, probably not the time to be asking for yeah. the pay rise. On the flip side, if they've just got an injection of you know, investment money, funding, that is an ideal time to go and ask for a pay rise. Um, 
And also, just kind of resist the urge to like babble on. Like, I think once you've made your request, just sit and like let the silence go. Like, I think people feel awkward asking for pay rise, but also bosses feel quite awkward <laughs> talking about yeah. money and being asked yeah. for pay rise. So, don't babble. Just kind of let them respond. Um, and then, if the answer is no. Uh, make sure you ask what you need to do by when in order to get a pay rise, and make sure you get that in writing. Like follow up after the uh, meeting in writing, because then you can revisit it. Let's say it's in six months' time, you can be like, "Hey, we had this." Because something that I hear a lot is that conversation just kind of keeps getting kicked down the line. Mm. Um, so you kind of want to have it kind of solidified in writing, codified. Because also, if you go back again and you're still being messed around, maybe it's time to think about leaving. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of some tips I'd advise. Yeah, thank you. Excellent advice. So it is, yeah, preparation, evidence, timing, and yeah. follow-up really yeah. is where we're getting to. I mean, talking about, you know, that the end of that is really about maybe it's time to move on. It is a tricky time to think about advancing careers, I guess. We're looking at economic instability. We're not sure what's going to happen in different sectors and different areas. Um, What's your advice, Lena, on how people manage that challenge of going, right, I'm really thinking about my future. I might want to quit my job. What do I need to think about in yeah. order to do that? I think um, just in general at this time where there's a cost of living crisis, I think having you know, financial resilience and stability is key. So building up things such as having an emergency fund or some people describe it as a bucket fund, you know, which you can use for quitting your job once it's too much. Um, but just having some money aside so that, you know, bills are, in we already know that bills are increasing. So it's really important to just have that buffer anyway. Um, and then also, you know, for specific reasons. So like throughout the year, you might have a, like a sinking fund. So maybe you've got a fund that is for, okay, I'm thinking about in the future, switching jobs, changing careers, just making sure you've got some money aside so that you can kind of manage um, for that interim period whereby maybe you're not earning as much as you were in your work or you might quit at a point whereby if you're doing a side hustle perhaps, at a point whereby you're earning as much as you were in your workplace. So it depends, everyone's quite different. Um, but yeah, having that emergency fund is important now. Tackling debt is important now because debt is very expensive. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, you don't want to have that stress, particularly if you're planning on launching or trying to do something else. So if you can, tackle debt. Um, and I'm always about planning for the future as well. So, you know, having a pension, um, being invested there, those are my kind of key things. So trying to build financial resilience for now, but also still having a, a, a mind or a view to the future as well is quite important. Because we'll, we'll all live through a recession. We'll all go through a recession in our lifetimes, maybe more than one. Yeah. Um, so it's really important to just you know, be resilient now and plan for the future. I mean, you mentioned recession. What, what are the things that were important that we stay on top of during a time like this? Because I guess that's one of the biggest challenges for people. You might be weighing up like where... To, you're talking about investments and savings versus paying off debt. Where would you see those priorities being? I'd say emergency fund, definitely. So that financial buffer, paying down debt, just um, because it's expensive and you know it's, it's funny you can be using it elsewhere if you can. So you might do something like um, transfer any credit card debt to a zero percent credit card, for example. So you're yeah. not paying interest on that. Can we still get those at the moment? You can absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you go on to um, <laughs> you know, Google. There's lots of um, lots uh, of websites that can, yeah, yeah, you can search for those. Um, you can do a soft search, so you don't have to do with like a hard search and impact your credit score. Um, but yeah, thinking about just paying off debt, building that emergency fund. I think that's key to do 
right now because we are in cost of living crisis and we don't, there's predictions that it's going to last until mid-2024. We're not even in 2023 yet, so we need to build that financial stability. Yeah, yeah, and just cover off those things that we really need to pay. Yeah. Um, Anna, you were talking about um, earlier, you touched on, actually, just when we were off stage, about the fact that there are some things that we should be taught to do from the minute we get a paycheck. Yes. What are those and when is it too late? Can oh. you just start at any time? It is never too late. I, I honestly think that's one of the, the myths around everything to do with finances. Is like, oh, is it too late? Is it too late? Yeah. Things like debt, everything like that. There's, there's always options. There's always something you can be doing. That first paycheck, if I could just grab everyone at the moment they get their first paycheck, <laughs> right? Like, and just say, like, just do these few things. It, you can set a course for your life that is completely, it's like a crossroads. It's like you can do the financial literacy thing there or not. And if you do, it's like a whole new world can open up. And it's, it's things like the emergency fund. It's, it's understanding debt and, and knowing that, you know, buy now, pay later is still debt. And it, and it will impact you in other ways later on. Mm. It's exploring various streams of income. But with that initial paycheck, you know, putting money aside for the emergency fund, thinking about the future, putting money aside for the things that always happen and catch you out. For example, Christmas, birthdays, you know, uh, the unexpected thing breaks in your house. Have you got some money aside for that? So we did this thing where we, we kept um, going over our budget every month because of birthdays, because we've got lots yeah. of family and we've got lots of friends that we love and we want to, you know, want to bless them. And then it just kept happening. And we're like, this is so stupid. Why don't we just work out in a year what we want to spend on birthdays, just try and do an estimate, divide it by 12 and just put that aside every single month. Been doing that now, absolute game changer. Just little things like that that just stop you going over budget and even just having a budget with mm. your first paycheck. You know, splitting up your spending into categories. What do you want to spend on each thing? And then getting an account with pots so you can actually split that money out from your budget into pots and spend from those pots. It'd be amazing. If you, if you were doing it in percentages, save versus spend, where would you land? Me personally, yeah. I, would, I would say try and start 10% if you can, 10% growth. So putting towards your future, putting towards, it could be, you know, investing, it could be starting that side hustle, it could be investing in yourself so you can increase your earning potential, always putting a little bit towards that. Then I would say there's a safe bit in the middle that is the other stuff. So, you know, the emergency fund bits or the, um, you know, I'm, I want to save for a deposit for a house or I want to, I want to go on that trip next year. Let's put that money aside there. So it, that is a quite a difficult one to say, but that's probably another quite a chunk. So 10, 20%, would you, would you guys agree with that? I don't know. Uh, I don't think I, especially in this economy, I don't think I would have fixed like a specific proportion of people's salary mm. to how much they save. Like I think generally just sounds generic, but save what you can. Yeah. Um, I think it's, you know, it's a lot easier for someone on 150 grand a year to save 10,000 pounds a year yeah, or 10% of, of their salary yeah. than mm -hmm. if you're on, you know, 25 grand a year. So I think it's important that you just look down, look, look at what you, you know, you'll take home as a month, chart it out. Not like, I think it's important to remember not everyone is in a position to save and like ideally no, you, course, would, yeah, you yeah. would be saving. Um, but I think just literally whatever you can and also just trying to make it consistent. So even if that's 50 pounds a month, yeah. um, that's something. But I think especially in a city like London, like because I think the generic rule is like 50, 20, 30, 50, yeah. Yeah, 50, yeah. 30, 20 rule about spending and saving whatever. In London, people spend way more of their salaries on like 
housing costs Rent, than, yeah, yeah. than you know than in most other places in the UK, and also than more much more than like housing charities and bodies recommend. You know, you're supposed to spend about thirty percent of your take home pay on rent or a mortgage, and in London, a lot of people are spending fifty percent more. Sure, so. Yeah. Um, I think these kind of rules of thumb are probably, sometimes I find them a little bit outdated, and I yeah. think it depends on your own personal circumstance. But if you're just being honest with yourself about what you can genuinely afford, then that's what well, you can afford you can to do. live without if that's an option and yeah. what you can therefore yeah. save at yeah. the end of it. Um, one of the things I've heard quite a bit, and I'd be interested to see if you're hearing that or if this narrative <laughs> is changing, but. Um, People talking about their fears of money and anxiety of money and then hiding from their own financial situation. So genuinely have heard our audience talk about not looking at their bank statements, not looking, not, I'm, I know I'm gonna be in a bad situation and I'm not gonna look at it. Is that something that you've com- seen a lot yeah. of? You're nodding curiously, <laughs> Selena. Yeah, no, um, I mean, if you read Black Girl Finance book, obviously I don't, I don't go into detail about that, but no, I can really identify with, um, feeling like, you know, you're kind of feeling overwhelmed with finances and, and feeling like you're constantly doing something wrong. So um, getting into the mode of not looking at bank statements and kind of avoiding it. Um, I mean, one of the things that I'd encourage you to do if you are feeling that way um, is kind of think about what you're doing right. So a lot of us will, you know, we may have financial struggles, but we may, you know, still be, you know, in my situation, I was still, you know, managed to, to put a roof over my head. I was still managing to make sure that my son was fed. Um, the majority of bills were paid, um, uh, like essential bills were paid. So sometimes we're doing actually okay, but we have a lot of negative self-talk and it allows us to, it makes us avoid actually kind of looking at the numbers. So I think maybe try not to be so hard on yourself if you are, you know, avoiding bills. Just take a peek at it. Um, and like I say, think about the things that you are doing right, because you know, once we've got you know, positive skills, you know, if you're paying one bill, you, know, you, you, you can pay other bills. Um, so yeah, try not to be so hard on yourself. Just peek at the numbers and, and try and ignore the negative self-talk um, and just try and look at the numbers and, 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 and really look at your own individual numbers as well. Sometimes we can be overwhelmed because you know, our friends, family are doing yeah. other things and everyone seems to be doing okay but us, but actually, you know, you probably find that a lot of people are struggling if, if we're being totally honest. So, yeah, try not to be so hard on yourself and just try and look at the numbers. Try and be brave and look at the numbers. So if we were getting into good habits with money, Anna, what would they be? I think just to, just to take on, like, just what you just said there, Selena, as well, it's like that there's an emotional side to our finances. Absolutely, I don't yeah. feel like we acknowledge enough. Yeah, I It's not just... I did maths, right? So I love the you know, this plus this equals this. It doesn't work like that no. with our finances. We are emotional beings and our well-being is impacted by what we can and can't afford. So when we need to look at that bank account, you know, that will have an emotional hit. And it, and it always does, I think. I mean, even for me now, when I look through our bank statement, it's, it's not unemotional. It, ha- it has an impact. So mm. I think we need to be honest about that. That's a massive side to our financial journey is, is the emotional roller coaster of it as well. Um, so I think in terms of good habits, it's just, just allowing for that. Like, be kind to yourself. Like, when you're looking at your finances, do it in a moment where you've got the headspace and you've got the emotional capacity to not only deal with what the numbers are telling you now, 
but to think about the future in a, in a, good, a good frame of mind. Mm. So um, that's why we talk about things like, you know, putting time aside to have like a money date or a money, you know, just half an hour where you look at your finances. Do it with a cup of coffee and a bar of chocolate or something. Do it somewhere you feel comfortable and, re and relaxed. Um, but I think a good habit is to look at the numbers and, mm. and to, it's, ha it's hard, mm. especially now. It's not necessarily comfortable, but that is where things start, is where you, if you can look back at you know, two to three months worth of spending, where is your money going, having a little look and getting a handle on what your numbers are for now, then you can start to take step forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm keen to get into some of your tips and advice really today and in terms of what you've encountered um, and what works or what doesn't work for people as well. And I think, I guess, I guess what I'm hearing for you is know what you're spending. Like, that's, it seems very simple because it's very yeah. easy to leave all the little bits and bobs add up really fast, don't they? Selena, I mean, it, yeah. how, how would you track that? Is it, are we in Excel land? Do we need spreadsheets? Oh, no, like, I'm not Excel. No, <laughs> never. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm more, I like an app. I like a good app that will show me, okay, this is about to come out. So, for example, there's the Emma app, there's Money Dashboard, there's loads of apps out there that will kind of give you a notification that this is about to come out. And it's quite good, actually, because, you know, the other day something pinged for me, and I was like, oh, I'm not actually using that anymore. And then I cancelled that subscription. But, um, you know, would I, would I have looked at it if it was in an Excel spreadsheet? Probably not. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's just me. So I'd say do money in a way that suits you as well. I think that's a big thing. Yeah. Um, like you said, we don't might not be possible to the 30, you know, 50, 30, 20. It might not be possible to do spreadsheets, but do it in a way that suits you. I'm, um, yeah, I, I like an app that kind of shows me what's going on and will ping me a notification because, you know, if I don't get a notification for life in general, um, I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know. Life is one big reminder, yeah, right? I, yeah, that's me, literally. Everything has to be in my diary. There needs to be an alert. So it's not good enough for it to just be in my diary. Yeah. There needs to be a ping. Um, so, yeah, so I need money to work that way for me as well. It's just my brain. Just uh, if I works. could ask what apps you use personally yeah. for your own. So I like them. Um, I like the uh, app called Emma because it kind of tells you what subscription and, and that's the key thing. I think for me during COVID, you know, I started, I had a tarot app because I suddenly got interested in tarot. I had, you know, workout, gym membership that I wasn't using. Um, so yeah, seeing these things made me think, okay, I need to cancel those. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, sometimes we can make just small tweaks and changes. And like um, Otega said, you don't have to start saving or um, you know, building up some money with lots of money. It can just be cancelling one subscription that will give you, you know, £10 a month that you can just start getting into the habit of saving. Um, it doesn't have to be massive, massive changes. Just as little small changes can make a big difference. Yeah. Otega, what, about, what works for you in terms of managing your own finances? Uh, so I guess I kind of work backwards, but I basically, like, and I do this every so often, like, for instance, recently I did it because... Uh, all my energy bills, you know, going up. Um, all my bills, yeah, all my bills going up. Um, so I just kind of work, like, you know, write down what my monthly expenditures, like, need to be, like, what the absolute centres are, like, housing costs, bills. And I'm also quite honest with myself, like, you know, I probably do go into Boots and spend about 30 quid, you know, whatever a month. And don't lie to yourself, basically. Yeah, exactly, yeah. don't lie to yourself. Um, and then, based on, because I'm self-employed, so I earn different amounts every month, every yeah. year. Um, but I pay myself the same amount every month because I've kind of worked out what I need, which is, you know, this amount in total. 
And so even if I've had a month where I haven't, you know, billed or invoiced anything, I still pay myself the same amount so yeah. I don't feel panicky. Um, but if I've had a really good month where, I've, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, I've got a book advance, but I'm not just going to go out and spend all that. I just pay myself the same amount every month. So I think that's something that can be quite good for self-employed. And then it's just kind of like an instant budget. I don't have to think about yeah. my spending every month. It's just like, yeah, I already good know month, what bad I should... month. Yeah, is, exactly. Yeah. I just like, this is what you should be spending over the course of a year. Yeah. Divided by 12. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, right. I, I'm going to get into some different areas and I'd love to get your views on it. So pensions, should we bother? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a massive, I'm, yeah, a, yeah. I'm a yes, yeah. <laughs> there is a pensions gap, and I talk about gaps a lot, but there is a pensions there gap. Is, yeah. I mean, there's data that shows that um, men retire on like five times more pensions than women. And I know it's just, it's not just as simple as, okay, women aren't paying into pensions. There's lots of issues that, that, that feed into that. But whether you are employed, self-employed, I would say, you know, set up a pension. Um, if you're employed, you pay in, your employer pays in, you get tax relief. It's a good thing. Um, we're living longer. Yeah. <laughs> Women live longer than men in general. So I think, you know, get, setting up a pension regardless, it's, never, it's not too late to do it, regardless of how old you are. Um, I think it's a good thing, it's a positive thing. And the, and the pension gap you're seeing at the moment, that is the disparity be between what men and women are having saved by the, they hit I retirement think, age? Yeah, due to some research that says due to the um, uh, pay gap that exists between men and women, gender pay gap, you know, the amount going into those pension pots, often um, if you think about like a workplace pension, for example, you, you're putting in a percentage of how much you earn. So if, you know, men are earning more than women, the amount that you put in each year is going to be less. So the amount you get in at the end at retirement is less. So um, it's something to be aware of. Um, it's also something to be aware of if you take any gaps in, in work for whatever reason, yeah. you know, to, to add more money into the pension pot if you can, or have a conversation with your partner about, you know, keeping your pension topped up as well. Um, but I think, I, I think they are kind of essential. Yeah. What, thank you. One of the things I've had a lot is people who've worked in lots of businesses with lots of different pensions. Consolidate or not consolidate? Anna? <laughs> that's a tricky one, isn't it? Because yeah. it's like, yeah. And, and also, like, the whole self-employed thing, that's another area where you can just jump and, it, and you have to then do it yourself and sort it out yourself. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think, what, what would you say to the I think it depends on the actual pension because some pensions you have, you know, some perks, I don't know, I can't remember the correct terminology, but you have something in there that maybe if you move it, you'll lose that perk. So you have to be, you have to speak to that pensions provider and just find out. So I think it's, it's on an individual basis. It's all about basis. which pensions you've got available. Yeah, to yeah it's on an individual yeah. basis. For some people, it might be really simple. You might not have that many pension pots. So to consolidate it, if you're not going to lose any benefits, great. Um, but I think individual basis. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, do you have a pension for... No. Uh, right. Uh, so I thought you might have a slightly no. different take on it. Have I you mean, I should, I guess. I yeah. should. Um, but I don't. Um, I would say that my financial priorities in the past couple of years, especially, was trying to throw every, you know, every possible penny of my disposable income towards saving up to buy a flat, yep. which I managed to do a couple of years ago. I did which is promise a myself... Pension, actually, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think increasingly in this... Like economy that is becoming a, a type of pension for people. Um, yeah. So there are different ways of investing. Um, but also, obviously, with an actual pension, you get, um, I guess, free money, essentially, whether it's from an employer or from the government who match a certain amount. So it is something that I guess I should have, but I guess I see part of my savings as literally being in the bricks and mortar. 
that I own, um, which obviously will privilege. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it also depends on what kind of work you do. You yeah. know, I think I work in a kind of industry or kind of job where your earnings can really just massively change um, over a lifetime or over a couple of years. I think maybe less so than if you work in like a study yeah. nine to five. So I, th I would suppose my long-term financial uh, kind of plan is probably slightly different. Um, but yeah, you should get a pension. Don't listen. Just <laughs> have one, have one. Do you know what? When I went from employed to self-employed, yeah. it did take a while for me to set up my pension. Yeah. So it's probably on, it's it was on the to-do list. It? <laughs> it was on the to-do list for a long time. Yeah. So you know, you yeah. can always do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. If someone's in debt, um, should they create savings or should they pay off the debt first? Anna, this is one of those ones that people <laughs> tend to have different. Okay, I'm interested of, in all but, of the um, opinions, but yeah. Here's, here's one train of thought on it, right? If, if you're already in debt and then something happens to your income, but you've been paying off debt and you have no savings other than that, if something happens to your income, hopefully it never does, you would then have to go into further debt in order to stay afloat until you've yeah. got a new income. So there's an argument that says, um, even before paying off, as long as you're making minimum payments, of course, Save up some savings if you can, um, so you've always got some kind of buffer. So that's what this emergency fund is we've been talking about, three yeah. to six months worth of savings. Okay. Not easy to do, takes a long time. It's probably one of the most unglamorous parts of finances because you, know, you always want to spend it on something else. But um, yeah, I think you could also do it in tandem, so you could be saving a little bit, if you can, obviously, towards your emergency fund whilst pay chipping away at the debt as well. But it's kind of like, you, it, take, it totally depends on the circumstance, on the person, and what also motivates you as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any different views on that? Uh, I would largely agree. I think, you know, kind of save a couple, of, but also it depends on your person's circumstance. Like, if you think that you are in a position, let's say if you lost your job, you think, actually, I could probably move back home with my parents, and so yes. I wouldn't necessarily need as much of an emergency yep. fund, mm -hmm. then by all means, throw all of your spare cash at uh, your debt at your highest interest yeah. rate debt as well. Um, so I do think it depends on personal circumstances. But yeah, as a rule, have a bit of um, a fund for emergencies and then yeah, tackle your highest interest um, debt first. Yeah, yeah. okay. Are credit cards a good idea in this economic climate, Selena? I'd say getting into more, I mean, if you're already struggling with credit card debt, adding on more credit card debt is not necessarily a good thing. I think all of these things, all of these financial products and services are, you know, how well you handle them. You know, I know the very first credit card I got, I was really terrible at money, so that just got ran up and, and then, then it just went really wrong. Yeah. Now, now that I know better, been through a lot more, um, you know, a bit better with money, I can have credit card debt and I just make sure I pay it off every month. Um, or pay the minimum off every month. And, it, you know, I, I'm better at handling it. So I think it really does depend on the individual. Um, and for some people, it, m it may be the only option for them as well. You know, there's lots of people paying off, you know, uh, struggling with essential bills. It's, it's quite a different time. It's not like people mm. are struggling right now with, you know, consumer debt. Consumer debt. It, it's, it's actual people are struggling to pay their essential bills because yeah. energy costs have gone up and so on and so forth. So, 
it may be the only option for some, um, but as long as you've got a plan to pay it off, you know, even if it's, you know, doing a 0% transfer and then paying it off after that 0% ends, as yeah. long as you've got some plans, or maybe even speaking to a debt advice agency first, that might be a good option. Yeah. Um, they may be able to give you advice about freezing interest um, and, and things like that. So just create some sort of plan around it if, 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 if you're struggling with it, but if you're okay. You're okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I don't know whether you know this is top of people's agenda right now for these exact reasons. But one of the things I've heard a lot about over the years is this lack of understanding around investment for women, particularly, and women are much more likely to use very traditional savings funds, I believe, as opposed to uh, some of the other ways that you might actually invest your money. What if you were recommending areas for people to look into in terms of investments? What what would you look at, Anna? I am. Um I would recommend reading a few books on investing for everyone. I just think, just to get your head around the concept of what it is, what it isn't. Um, you don't want to be relying on um, so-and-so stock pick of the week on uh, like a video you saw. You yeah. want to have a good rounded like understanding of investing before getting into it because you are putting your money out to work. So there is always risk involved. Yeah. So just getting that level of understanding. So I, I read a really good book called um, The Little Book of Common Sense Investing by John C. Bogle. That's brilliant. And he talks a lot in there about index funds, which is um, a way of investing that kind of, you're investing in lots and lots of companies at once. So you're like sort of minimizing the risk. Yeah. So that um, you can kind of take advantage of the growth as a whole of that index fund rather than one company and putting all your eggs in one basket. So index funds are, are really worth looking into. Okay, interesting. Have you have you explored? Um, I've investment? certainly explored it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet dipped your toe, but explored um, it. Yeah, I would say that when it comes to investing, I would recommend that you speak to like a financial advisor. Yeah, of course. Yeah. What to do because everyone's, for instance, appetite for risk is different. Yeah. Um, and again, how much of a safety net you have, whether how much money you can afford to lose if touch with worst happens, when you'll need that money for. So if you think you are going to want that money in two years' time, then it's going to be pretty much the yeah. lowest risk. Not really, yeah, probably yeah. not even, best not even to really invest it, just kind of put it in a savings account, whatever. But if you're like, this is something I can put away for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, block away for ages, then obviously you can go much more high risk um, because generally the kind of market tends to even out over time. Um, but I would definitely speak, like, speak to financial advisor and also speak to somebody who isn't getting commission for selling yeah. you certain products. Yeah. So actually... Paying them a fee pay up for their front, time. Yeah, pay yeah. for their time is the better way to do it because if they're free, then there is a cost hidden there somewhere and they're not necessarily And you might not be impartial. getting the thing that's best Yeah, here, exactly. Yeah. So somebody that you're paying up front and then everything is transparent. Um, and don't be afraid to ask as well, are you being paid any commissions? Yep. Do you have any preferential relationships with any of these um, companies or funds or things like that? Um, yeah. Because people don't necessarily declare. But yeah, I would say... It's something worth investing money in is the advice on where to invest your money. Yeah, yeah. that's good advice. Um, Selena, one of the things, um, I think there's myths around investment that you probably need to invest like £50,000 or it's not yeah. going to be worth it. But people are investing like £10, £20, yeah. £50. And it's, I think it's a good, small amount is a good, you know, way to get started. You don't, we're not in the time where you need to have loads of money to invest. You can invest from 
you know, an app on your phone. You can invest like Roundup Change. Mm. I think, um, what's that platform called? I can't remember the name now. But no, I've been trying to remember <laughs> yeah. that happens with been chatting. Which rounds up your money and you can invest that money. There are robo-advisor apps. You can invest from one pound just to get started, just to kind of see how you feel. Um, if you can afford to, speak to a financial advisor, like an independent financial advisor. You know, there's so many options out there. And I think what you said about index funds, I mean, that's, that's what I invest in. I, I, I try and be as diverse as possible, different countries, different industries. Um, and I, I started with, a, just say, I started with a very small amount. I probably started investing with like, you know, 25 pounds a month. I probably started saving with 25 pounds a yeah. month. And then it's just built up from there. As my incomes increase, you know, as we go through our careers, our incomes sometimes increase. So, you know, just as that money's increased, I've increased my savings, I've increased my investing, and I've learned about it as well. You know, give yourself, you know, some grace so that you can just learn about it. And, and don't be so hard on yourself if you make yeah. a mistake, you know. So I think we should all be investing. Personally. Yeah, fabulous. And I do like even simple things like the Roundup apps and things, yeah. and just siphoning off tiny bits of money that yes. actually can make a difference all those gifts that catch you out yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. at the end of the year. Um, I'm going to finish then um, just by asking each of you for really, as we navigate the next six months, what would your tip or advice to everyone be? Anna, do you want to go first? I love an account with pots. I go on and on about this. <laughs> I just love it. It changed everything for us when we took the budget from the spreadsheet or the app or whatever and actually put it into real life. So we took our spending money bit of the month, put it into an app that has pots. We use Mondo. There's like tons out there. There's like loads of them. And, and then you literally split that money out according to your budget and then you spend from those pots. So you go into Sainsbury's, it's like, oh, that comes out of the food budget. Brilliant. And it just lets you track it as you go in real time. Yeah, so good. Love it. I know it's quite like detailed, but it really works for us. That's my fave. Yeah, it's the type of tip I like. Up that, <laughs> a taker. Uh, something that really works for me, I think, if you struggle to kind of keep a handle on your spending, is I think most banks do this now, and certainly there are apps you can do it on. Everything's kind of digital these days. Is just being sent notifications when you spend. I get yes, a notification yes, every time I, do, I use yeah. my credit card. Um, which, I mean, from a fraud point of view, is also really good, but yeah. also just kind of keeps me in check and reminds... Because I think it's so easy in a cashless society to just go completely bonkers mm. with your spending. And so actually being reminded of what I'm spending kind of on a daily basis and I get like a weekly balance text um, just kind of keeps me on the straight and narrow. So I would recommend that. Yeah, fabulous. Thank you. Selena? Yeah. Um, so my tip would just be think about your money as part of your self-care routine, yeah? Um, just prioritize it, prioritize your financial well-being. I think as women, sometimes we can think about our needs last. Yeah. But I think money is one of those things that we need to think about first. Because, and, 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 and not just, you know, just getting in the money, but it's just so that you can take care of yourself, you can take care of yourself properly, that you can have conversations with partners, with, um, you know, with your employer. Uh, it, it's part of self-care. So for me, having a pension, having savings, it's all part of self-care for me. So it, it's kind of non-negotiable. Whether I'm employed by someone, whether I'm self-employed, whether I'm in a relationship, whether I'm single, it all, it, my financial well-being is important. So I just say your financial well-being is important. So yeah. do just, you know, just do it. Just, just prioritize it. Yeah, fabulous. Great point to end yeah. on, I think. It's something for us all, a little bit of homework for us all to do uh, after today, but to prioritize ourselves in that. 
Look, so many good tips, advice, so many brilliant thought starters. Thank you so much, guys. Um, thank you all for joining us. We'll be back again shortly, but before that, please join me in a very big final warm round of applause to Selena, Otega, and Anna. I'm sure that session has inspired you to start finding new ways to manage your money and think about your financial future. I admit that I did go home and start a new spreadsheet, so it definitely worked for me. For more excellent financial advice, head to stylist.co.uk where we have regular content on managing your money. And don't forget to subscribe to this series of Stylist Live Sessions to hear more of our inspiring live talks. We've also got sessions from Bernadine Evaristo, Fern Cotton, presenter Alex Jones, comedian Adam Kay, and many more. Thanks so much for listening.